0: If you answered yes to both of those questions, visit our website to learn more about our negotiation workshops. We've traveled the country working with professionals just like you, and we'd love to have the opportunity to work with you too. Check out the link in the description to learn more. Jamie, thanks for joining us today.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: It is my pleasure. I was um, very excited to have this conversation because when we met at Podcast Movement, I was shocked to see another. Person presenting on negotiation. I was like, I have to meet you. And so I'm, I'm glad we're able to make this happen. Me
1: too. This is like my happy topic.
0: Perfect. Well, how about you start us off by telling the audience a little bit about yourself and what you do?
1: So I'm a lawyer. So don't hold that against me, please. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I've been a lawyer for about
1: 15 years. The first half of my career, I spent as a litigator in highly, highly contentious litigations. So that's really where I got my start on negotiation. And through that time I worked in big law, which meant that I worked on very, very, very large high dollar value lawsuits where everyone fought about every single detail. I pretty much got burnt out of that and decided to switch and then I worked for the federal government and I worked for a judge for an amount of time. So I actually got to be in the position of neutral, which was kind of interesting, listening to everyone argue around me and then ultimately deciding with the judge, what opinion we would write. So it gave me a different perspective. I then left that and decided to start out on my own, which is what I do now. I have my own law practice called Hashtag legal. And we work with clients on the other side of things to help them grow their businesses instead of tearing them apart. And uh, we work with small businesses, entrepreneurs, online businesses. And one of the many things that we do for our clients is actually negotiation coaching to help them with either landing deals, new clients or difficult client situations. I also was an adjunct professor at Seton Hall Law School where I taught lawyering and negotiation and advocacy. So it's kind of my favorite thing and writing as well, which can be a highly effective negotiation
0: tool. Absolutely. Well, great. And also let the listeners know about your podcast, too. Don't oh, forget my about that.
1: gosh. Yes. So I have a podcast. Oh, my gosh. Please don't tell my podcast co-host I did that. <laughs> <laughs> I was so focused on the lawyer stuff. I have a podcast called The Fearless Business Podcast, where we talk all about topics in your business that many people either avoid or are afraid of, but shouldn't be. And it's not just legal. There's lots of stuff that we talk about.
0: Perfect. Great. And so for this episode, what we're going to focus on is research, transitioning, and dealing with difficult people. And for the listeners, yes, we talk about research a lot and how to research during the conversations with asking questions. We're going to touch on that very briefly and then move into the second point, which is transitioning. And I think that's a really critical part that we haven't explored fully on the show. How do you transition from information gathering at the beginning of the conversation to talking about the actual negotiation? Who gets what and how much? So I think that's going to be a really fun topic to dig into. So. Let's go ahead and start off with the research during the conversation. So at the negotiation table, what are some of the things that we need to look out for when it comes to gathering information?
1: Personally, I think it's listening. I think especially now in this day and age when we are all so very distracted (laughs) and our minds are in 500 different places, I tend to be a person who is always thinking like, what's my next question? Did I leave a load of laundry in the dryer? You know, is my kid behaving at school? I think we lose information in the information gathering if we're not what I like to call active listening. So my first tip in the research phase isn't even necessarily about what questions you're asking, but how you're processing the information.
0: That's really interesting. So with the active listening is really doing our own work on ourselves to make sure our minds are in the right place during the conversation. What are some of those things that we can do to make sure that our minds are primed to receive the information effectively?
1: So, the way that I tend to work, because I, like I said, I tend to be a person who has multiple thoughts at at a time, I take really good notes. And that essentially allows me to use two parts of my brain. So, I feel like I'm in some ways multitasking when I'm really not. I'm listening to what someone's saying, but I'm actually actively taking notes. And I let the person who's talking, no, I'm taking notes whether I'm on a call or in person. It actually, I find, puts people at ease because they think you really want to hear what they're saying. Which you do, but it sort of sets that stage so you immediately have a, a much more amicable conversation when you're in the research phase versus someone feeling like you're, you know, asking all these questions, but if you truly are asking questions where you really just want to know information to make the negotiation more effective and you tell someone, I'm taking notes, I just want you to know that I think it sort of has a double effect. So for me, I find if I'm taking notes and I'm listening, I'm doing two things and I find myself less distracted by other thoughts.
0: Oh, that's a really good point. I like that idea of using notes not only to put the other person at ease and to, to retain the information, but also as a focusing tool as mm-hmm. well, because now your mind is really locked into the conversation. And when we say take notes, I think a lot of people will just say to themselves, okay, write down things that people say,
1: (laughs) right? (laughs) But um,
0: there's an art to it because there are some easy mistakes that we can make when it comes to taking notes where taking notes, which usually can be an asset, can turn into a liability. So what Mm -hmm. are those things that people need to watch out for when they're taking notes to make sure that it's actually benefiting both parties in the conversation?
1: Don't put your own spin on the notes. Write down what the person <laughs> is actually saying, not what you want to hear or what you think they're saying or what your analysis of it. You can analyze later. And that to me, I'm, I know we're going to go to transition, but the analysis of the notes is how I transition. And so I am purely, it's like I'm in a class. So I think of it the way that I got through law school because so much information is being spoken to you in such a short amount of time was I took really incredible notes and I learned how to take notes quickly so that I could understand them, but I wasn't actually putting any analysis into them. It was pure facts. And being a questioner at heart, I just kind of like to know stuff. So it enables me not to put anything emotional on it. I sort of turn off that part of my brain. I'm not analyzing anything. Absorbing comes later. It's just really just gathering information as if I was you know, asking, like the way you're asking me questions right now just to get information, not thinking about what am I going to do with this information? That's the next step.
0: Yeah, I think that's a really great point. And just to put a psychological spin on it as a psychology nerd, I think Mm -hmm. it's important to remember too how memory works because memory isn't a verbatim recording of what happened. Memory is essentially imagination. When you look at the brain scans of people accessing memories, it looks like they're imagining things. And so we have a bullet pointed list, let's say, for example, of what happened. And then when we think back to it, our brains are just kind of making up the rest with what it (laughs) thinks it looked like at the time. And so that's really important because if we're taking notes and we're putting our own spin on it, when we review those notes, that's what we're actually going to think happened in the meeting. And that's problematic because It's going to be interpreted as we write the notes in a biased way. And then when we go through the analysis, it'll become more biased and we're just corrupting the information more and more throughout the process.
1: Yes, that's I I absolutely agree with you. And I also, I really can't rely on my memory for things like that. There's too many details because sometimes you write something down that you have absolutely no idea is relevant. And until you get the big picture, you're like, wow, that was the key. So that's why making judgment calls or snap analysis based on what is being spoken to, I don't edit. I just hear it.
0: Exactly. And I think as you start to practice taking notes more often, you'll start to get a better idea of what's important and what's not so important. And that's important because if you're trying to transcribe (laughs) the whole conversation, that's not really listening either. That's a different process as well. And so being mindful about those things, being able to decipher what's important and not important is going to be important, <laughs> it's is going to true. be critical. And
1: that's why planning before the conversation is so key. You know, research isn't just asking questions, but it's also a whole analysis that you've done, you should have done before you even sit at the table with someone. Hi, this is Catherine Kanapke. I'm the chief operating officer at the American Negotiation Institute, and we have some exciting news for you. Our new online course will be launching on January 13th, 2020. Over the past few years, we've traveled the country teaching professionals in procurement, sourcing, and sales, the keys to effective negotiation. We've taken all of the lessons from those workshops and put it into this powerful course. This course will provide you and your team with a powerful set of strategic tools that you can use to get the best deal for your company. At the end of the program, you'll have more confidence, more skills, and will get better deals in the process. Remember, class starts January 13th, 2020. We hope to see you there. Check out the website to learn more. And now, back to the show.
0: Right, absolutely, absolutely. And I think this is a good opportunity to transition into transitioning (laughs) because it's not always clear. So if we're asking questions, getting good information, when do we figure out that, that line of enough? I have enough information to actually begin the negotiation process.
1: I like to take a break, which a lot of people get very nervous when I say that. They're like, wait, but everybody's here. Sometimes you need a break, and that can maybe a second conversation to give yourself time to absorb. I personally cannot absorb all the information at once and really analyze it without taking some time. If that means that I take a 10-minute break because I'm in a room with someone and I say, hey, I just need a couple minutes to sort of gather my thoughts. It's okay to pause. I talk about pausing all the time when I talk about negotiation. People think they need to fill space, fill air, fill noise because people get very nervous when there's silence. So I think the transition is often comes from getting comfortable with silence and being okay to say, I need to process this a little bit. I need to think about what you've said. I just need a few minutes to do that. That's an easy transition right there because it gives you a chance to see am I missing information? Do I have all the information that I need? Even if it's five minutes and you're doing it on the fly, I've been in the most contentious of depositions where people get to take a break. So I often hear people object to that saying, oh, I don't have time to take a break. I can't take a break. I feel like you're doing yourself a disservice if you don't at least take a few minutes to think about and absorb what you've just listened to.
0: I think that's a great point. I remember when I was learning how to drive. My dad was teaching me. And one of the things that he he said was that the majority of mistakes at your age <laughs> that you're going to make are going to come because you're trying to go too fast rather yeah. than too slow. And the same is true in negotiation. I always say you can't put the toothpaste back in the tube. After you make a mistake or say something or give away your bottom line or whatever it is, you can't say, Oh, sorry. <laughs> you can't do that. And so that's a, a really important point to make. And I think this is a negotiable point as well. Let's say, for example, if you're setting the agenda beforehand, maybe in your emails or your phone calls leading up to it, you can talk about the various issues that you want to discuss, but you could also put in that break so they know Mm -hmm. beforehand that a break is coming up. So it might make that transition a little bit easier.
1: I think that's right. Setting boundaries early on is great. And frankly, the other Party might want to break. They might be grateful. (laughs) So I think sometimes a lot of people think taking a moment to gather your thoughts looks like weakness or it looks like you don't know what you're doing. But I would take that mindset out of that and just say, Hey, I just need a couple minutes. I just want to think this through, make sure, you know, I've gotten all the information. And frankly, I'd say to them, Please use this and let me know if you need more information from me. So it feels equal.
0: Nice. And let's go through that horrible situation that you suggested. If you're dealing with somebody, That's really, really almost like a bully in the conversation. Mm -hmm. And they say, no, Jamie, I forbid you from taking a break. (laughs) They they wouldn't say it like that, but they'd say, no, I think we should keep on going. I don't think it's appropriate to take a break at this time. How do you respond?
1: Well, I let them know that I hear that and that if they want to continue to have the conversation, we can. But if they could let me know when the next time is that they are comfortable with taking a break, I'd love to just figure that out because I'm going to need a couple minutes. And once you sort of set that boundary and the person's like, they're not going to walk away because you want to take a five minute break. You just have to sort of stay calm and not rise to that and make it into a contentious thing. Like, you know, sort of honoring, okay, I understand maybe you're in a hurry. Let's give them the benefit of the doubt that they're just not being a bully, even though they probably are. And just say, okay, that's fine. Would a half an hour work for you? Or what do you need? I I do need this. And so I'm just going to ask you to honor that for the most part that kind of goes nobody's going to keep that fight going after the one time they've puffed you just can't react to it
0: exactly yeah I think that's a good point and I, I like what you said there about letting them know that you do at some point you personally need some time to analyze the situation so you're making it abundantly clear that a break has to come <laughs> for you at some point yeah. point. one of the things that I do is if somebody is pushing in that way I would say, okay, I understand that uh, time is important to you in this situation, but I want to make it clear that at this point, I wouldn't be able to make any offers or really add anything because I'm not prepared to do so until after this break. So if there's something else that you want to say before I take a break, I'm definitely willing to be here and listen for you. But as far as my ability to add anything, I can't add anything until after the break. And so once people realize that, okay, they can't, Force you to do it. And there's only so much they can add unilaterally <laughs> to mm-hmm. a conversation, the, the break does eventually come.
1: Yeah, exactly. It's true. I think at the end, it really just has to be a matter of staying firm but calm. And that nonsense will eventually go away.
0: <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. And I think that fear of the potential bad response is one of the things that stops people from taking a break in these conversations when they really want to take a break in the conversations. Mm -hmm. And this, again, let's pull this back. This doesn't only apply to -to lawyer-to-lawyer negotiations like we would have or high-stakes business negotiations. If you're having a conversation with your spouse that is uh, turning into a conflict, a friend, those type of things, those are high-stakes conversations too. And a lot of times when we stay in those conversations, when we really should take a break, that's when mistakes happen. And it's the fear that the other side will say, no, no breaks that holds us back from saying, hey, I need to take a break. But in reality, that resistance in that form at that time is very, very rare. I know for me, in the hundreds of mediations that I've done and and business negotiations, I I mean, I could probably count on one hand the people who say no breaks. I'm not sure about your experience. You're up in the (laughs) New York, New Jersey area, so it might be a bit different. But here in the Midwest, it wasn't that bad.
1: No, my experience is the same as yours for the most part. Everybody needs a break. Everybody wants a break. You know, we also know, typically know in the beginning of a conversation, you know, do you have a hard and fast stop? So being mindful of that hard and fast stop, knowing that it just makes sense. Like if it's a business negotiation, you know, if you're like, all right, I got to be out of here by two o'clock, you sort of build that in to the time and it can't be rushed. I understand there are deadlines and things need to get done and people want things done. But the faster you do things, like you said, the more mistakes that you made. And it just emotion starts to cloud analysis. And that's when negotiations fall apart.
0: Exactly. And so for you, let's say we've gotten to this point where you're taking the break. What specifically are you doing during the break? What What do you want to accomplish?
1: So when I'm thinking in a negotiation, I'm thinking of what I like to call currencies which are all the things we're going to negotiate about. It's not just money. There's so much breaks (laughs) are a negotiation, (laughs) but you can negotiate about everything. And it really just depends on what your deal is. So I'm thinking about the currencies because I've listed them already. I've already spent my time knowing like, what do I want? What's my bottom line? What do I think the other side wants? What are the open issues? And what I'm trying to do, and this is how I do my transition, is I'm trying to cross off the issues that we agree on because that's how you lead to the negotiation. You walk in when you're all said and done say, okay, well, this is great news. We agree about items one through five. So let's focus our time and then get the confirmation. Yes, the other side's like, yeah, we agree on that. That's good. We have those terms. Let's focus on, because it's usually what? One or two items that really at the end of the day are the issue. Sometimes it's one incredibly small thing that can hold up an entire negotiation. If you're able to pinpoint that, That's what I'm doing when I'm analyzing. I'm crossing off the currencies that we agree to or that I know we're going to be able to agree to the easy ones. And I'm getting them out of the way because as soon as you have an agreement on something, people relax. But if you go right in with the contentious one, it just sets a battle for so many other things. So that's what I'm doing on that break. And it's easy to transition in that way.
0: I love this point because there's so many gems in it. First one, lawyer to lawyer. I think this really speaks to the legal skill of issue spotting. Yeah. As a law student, that's the first thing that they have you learn, how to spot issues. And mm-hmm. if you're unable to recognize what the other person wants and needs and be able to distinguish between their interests and their positions, what they say they want versus why they want it, that's mm-hmm. going to be important. And again, it, the research feeds right into that because like you said, if you do a good job researching beforehand, it'll be easier to see these different issues. And listeners, of course, remember you have the free negotiation guides you can get from the American Negotiation Institute. We have the link for that in the descriptions. But I think this would be one of those times where you could take that research that you've done and kind of cross check it with the notes that you've taken. And it Mm -hmm. gives you a lot more clarity going into the second half of the negotiation.
1: Yeah, exactly. I'm a list maker. And so I'm literally listing issues as you've put it. And so if you have 10 issues and 8 of them are in contention the odds of coming to an agreement are much much more challenging not saying they don't cuz they can but if you manage to get it really down to like feeling like you're working on this together you're you're like oh my gosh we've gotten through 8 of these 10 that we agree on let's find a way to get to these two it's so collaborative you're almost rooting for it you know you want to do it together you're like we've agreed on 8 of 10 things this is incredible let's focus on these two that may be a little bit more challenging
0: Yeah. And there is a significant psychological benefit to doing this because number one, you trigger sunk costs. And so (laughs) sunk cost is what makes people in a bad way. It can make people hold on to investments too long because they realize I've put something into this. I want to get value out of it. And so they might hold on to an investment, even though it's going down. You say, oh, it'll come back, please. I don't want this to be a loss. (laughs) Or on the personal side, relationships. Uh, I'm in this relationship. And yeah, it's not going too well, but I've invested three years. I can't just let it go so people stay too long. But on the positive side, if you say, listen, we had 10 issues. We're through eight. We're on the same page. We're so close. We're right there at the finish line. Then once people start to fall away, you could keep going back to that. Listen, we are already in agreement on this, this, this. And then you could go back to your list and list those things. We're so Mm -hmm. close. And it's a great way to pull people back to negotiations even if it's getting contentious and it looks like they want to walk away because they're more invested in it.
1: The other thing I think is really key because we've mentioned the bully, right? Everybody's fear with negotiation is that really awful bully. And I find because I'm my tactics with those bullies is I remain very, very calm. In fact, the angrier and more that they yell, the kind of more calm my voice gets. I don't ever let anyone get a rise, which I understand is really challenging in his 15 years of being a lawyer and having a lot of people <laughs> scream at me in many different occasions. But one of the ways that I find that is so great about dealing with a bully is making them feel like they're winning because that's all they want to feel, right? So if you even position these eight agreements, which you knew you were going to agree to anyway, as a win or a concession when it really wasn't, it's going to cut some of that anger from them or that hostility and make them feel empowered to finish it out. And I find that that really feeds an ego of a bully, because that's really a lot of times where the bullying comes from, or a fear or an insecurity or something like that. And so flipping it in a way to make it like, we've got this, like, you've got this, you've convinced me, we're going to do it. Even if they haven't, you sort of have to set your own ego aside, but it works.
0: Absolutely. And (laughs) I'm smiling here because I was on a flight back from one of the presentations and I was sitting next to a guy who was telling me the story, it turned out he was in procurement. And uh, he said that at the beginning of one of his negotiations, the guy on the other side introduced himself and described himself as the best negotiator in the world. (laughs) That's how how he (laughs) described himself. And and he said, at the end of the negotiation, the guy that I was sitting next to said that he just wiped the floor with the guy. Because his ego was so wrapped up in what we, he was doing. he All he did was feed the ego and frame things in a way that made things seem like a win to him. That he was willing to, to make concessions just based on ego. Yeah, I feel like I'm winning. I feel like I'm winning. And sure. the story ends up <laughs> with the guy taking the deal back. And the greatest negotiator in the world got fired on the spot. And so, yeah, just recognize that a lot of the things that are almost promoted by the other side as a strength are really hiding their their greatest weakness. And yes. so the the bully tactics are often hiding something else and don't let yourself get intimidated because if you get beyond that aggressive technique you can still survive. It's really just a distraction.
1: I cannot agree more. It's so 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 true. I'm thinking of two instances right now where I had two adverse counsel in a case that I was settling on behalf of two clients. They were pre-litigation cuz like I said I don't litigate anymore, but I do negotiate potential conflicts to hopefully avoid litigation for my clients. And the two adverse counsel were two of probably the most difficult people I've had to work with in a (laughs) long time. But when I really peeled away at why they both were, which were two different motivations, it was very easy for me to sort of play to why they were acting the way that they were and and make it happen.
0: Right. And once you start to figure it out, and recognize what it is as a tactic, it becomes a lot less scary. Yeah, um, that's one of the things. I'm reading a, a book right now on oppositional defiant disorder because Kai had my son. He's four. He had two straight bad days at daycare. I'm like, I'm figuring this out immediately. <laughs> and so, uh, what was really interesting is that with oppositional children, and this isn't Kai. He just had a couple of bad days. I'm just neurotic. Yeah, I'm just a neurotic. <laughs> Are crazy. <laughs> yeah, right. And really what it comes down to is as the child gets older, they're finding new ways to demonstrate their control over situations. And they don't understand the world the way that we do. So the way that they can control scenarios is by <laughs> chaos. That's and right. so when you realize that, oh, it's not, it's not something too scary anymore. This is a natural stage of development. He's Mm -hmm. doing this because he wants to assert control over his parents. You're the parent. You need to just make it clear that he has no control and then put firm boundaries and consequences. And that's it. So now when he reacts in a negative way and has these emotional outbursts, I'm not scared anymore. I'm not frustrated. I don't get emotional. It's easier for me to have that Jamie Lieberman kind of calm (laughs) in the face of that um, emotional torrent.
1: And I also think that this holds true with negotiations when you a little different than with children, because we can't walk away from our children. Right. But you having a walkaway position is sort of a comfort. And I try to keep my clients their eye on what their walk away is, so that they know that they have control. Because control, like you said, is what makes everybody spiral. When you feel like you don't have control over something, that's when things get very, very, very emotional. So that peace in the face of even the most adversarial person or even a situation where you feel like this is never going to get resolved, knowing like I have an alternative, it makes you feel comfortable and more confident and able to sort of push through some of those really challenging interactions. Uh, we just don't get that with our kids. Although <sighs> timeout is good for that. I mean, timeout for me. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> Not for them.
0: <laughs> that was funny. But no, you're you're absolutely right. And I think that's something that seems so Obvious, but it's easy to really overlook what a bottom line and a walkaway point really means. I remember I was coaching somebody in a negotiation and I asked what their number was. And so just for the sake of anonymity, let's say the number was 300,000. And I said, great. So what if they offer you 290,000? He said, you know, I'd probably take that. I was like, well, then 300,000 is in your bottom line. And so I kept going through this exercise and then it turned out it was $250,000 because he said $249,000 would not do it. <laughs> I was like, okay, great. Now we have it. But it needs to be really clear because if you get close to that line and you kind of waver when somebody says a number, and for me as a negotiator on the other side, I'm, I say to myself, oh, I'm close. I'm going to yeah. push because yeah. I saw that hesitation.
1: I totally agree.
0: Yeah. And this is this is great because- I, uh, it's almost like we seamlessly transitioned into number three, <laughs> which yeah. was uh, was difficult people. And I think we covered a lot of this, but what are some other things that we need to watch out for if we run into that that rare but possible bully on the other side of the table?
1: It's the number one piece of advice that I give is not personalizing it. It's not about you, it's about them. <laughs> and so I really taking the feeling of being personally attacked And this actually goes hand in hand with not just the bully, but also the person who's just not giving you what you want, or you feel frustrated at getting information from them. I think taking personal feelings out of it, which is hard and takes practice, but not personalizing when someone's talking to you that they're, you know, aiming daggers at you or insulting you personally. Like when, you know, somebody comes out and makes an offer and a client is just like, that just offends me. I'm like, okay, well, it shouldn't because it's a bad (laughs) offer and we're not going to take it, but it's not personal. And so taking personal out of it, even in a small business, even when it feels like it's your livelihood, even when it's your children, it's really, really hard. So the constant reminders to yourself of this isn't personal. This is a business deal. This is, you know, I have to remember that this person they may have had a bad day. They their kid may have acted out at school. They may have gotten into a car accident. You know, sometimes having a little bit of grace for another person who even if they don't deserve it can go a long way.
0: I like that point because that's huge because if you're not taking it personally it leads to greater levels of clarity of thought. That's really yeah. what we want to do because a lot of again a lot of the mistakes that we make are made because of not taking our time number 1 and not being in control of ourselves emotionally. And that's problematic. In one of the books that I really enjoy called The Charisma Myth, one of the things that the author suggests doing is giving somebody an excuse, like you said. It doesn't need to be true, yeah. <laughs> right? And so I I do this all the time in, in my mediations. If there's a party that is acting a little bit aggressive or hostile or short, things like that, I need to be neutral in that situation. Mm-hmm. So I just make something up in my head. You know, even if I have no evidence to the fact, that helps me to feel better about them. And then sometimes it helps me to even be a little bit compassionate and empathetic. But again, not sympathetic, because if you're sympathetic, that could lead you to make concessions based on emotions. And you can never, ever, ever trade substance for emotions because you're just rewarding bad behavior at that point.
1: That's right. And I also don't want to smush together kindness for rolling over. Just right. because you are kind does not mean you're not going to stick to your boundaries. And many people, particularly when I was starting out of my career as a young female lawyer, took my kindness to mean I was weak and they were wrong. <laughs> right. And so and it still happens sometimes if I have, you know, adversaries who deem themselves more experienced or older than me, even though at this point I'm like, I've been practicing for 15 years. Like, how much more do I have to do? But yeah, they they take my. Affability, my kindness, because I start a conversation having nothing to do with the conversation. You got to break the ice. You have to at least have a rapport. Even if this person is adverse to you, you have to ask how their day is. That's important to remember we're people. And often I think people will mistake that to mean that I'm going to be easy or weak. And it doesn't mean that. And it doesn't mean that my no in a calm voice <laughs> isn't equally as effective as the screaming no. It just, it, it makes a difference. So just because you're you lead with kindness, and just because you may feel empathy towards someone doesn't mean that you're gonna give in. But you're right, you you can't let emotion guide that you just have to acknowledge it. Think to yourself, man, that guy's dog probably ran away this morning, and he's super worried about it. Now let's move on. Yeah, I also make up stories. I love that you said that because I thought it was just me.
0: <laughs> no, I think it's almost like a it's a helpful fiction, right? Mm-hmm. If I, I understand it's not real, but I understand it helps. So I'm going to roll with it.
1: <laughs> yeah, sure. Because, you know, you never know what's going on with somebody. You know, we are humans and we do carry our baggage with us and things do go wrong. And it does cause me. I mean, look, there are times I'm short with my kids because I'm worried about work or something happened with a friend that I'm concerned about or a family member. Like it ha- we're people we're human. So you can't take that factor out of the equation. You just have to know how to handle it when you see it. And sometimes people are just not nice people. Sadly,
0: there are those as well. It's true. And in in the online course, I have a a module on personality. And Mm -hmm. it's actually, I guess, maybe depending on the time I I post this, I can say I I have a a deal with LinkedIn to do a a course with them on personality and managing different personality types in in conflict. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Super exciting. And so sometimes, sometimes people just have a difficult personality type, Yeah. whether it good things happen to them or bad things happen. That's just their genetic disposition. And mm-hmm. you have to recognize that. And, and when you recognize that, okay, this person's going to be difficult. I just need to come to terms with the fact that this negotiation is going to be a little bit ugly, a little bit messy yeah. and uh, thoroughly annoying, yeah. <laughs> but, oh. but, yes. but I'm here for the long haul and I'm okay with that. That's what I need to do.
1: Yeah. And don't, you know, don't take it home with you.
0: (laughs) Yes. Big part of that. Well, perfect. This has been fantastic. I appreciate you coming on the show. And even more than that, I appreciate your willingness to do a sparring session. Ah. coming up. Yeah, this was exciting. But before we wrap this interview, I wanted to give you an opportunity to shout out your business and the podcast one more time before we roll into the sparring session.
1: Thank you. So my law firm is hashtag legal. And my podcast is The Fearless Business Podcast.
0: Fantastic, and there will be links to all of that in the description. Jamie, thank you again, this was fantastic. Thank you. Congratulations, you've just joined an elite club. By listening to a full episode, you're now officially on the Negotiate Anything team. So welcome aboard. What most team members do is they subscribe to the podcast because that allows them to automatically get the latest episodes of the show